podcast. My name is Jessica. And I am drinking alcohol out of the mug. (laughs) No, my name's Sarah. (laughs) If you would like to find us on social media, you can find us on TikTok and Instagram at Heaven in a Miniskirt. And you can go to our website at heaveninaminiskirt.com where you'll also find our merch store. And we just launched our Patreon so please go to heaveninaminiskirt.com slash Patreon. If you would like to support us, you'll get one bonus episode per month. Depending on the tier that you purchase, you can also receive in the future ad-free episodes when applicable. Not yet applicable. Not, y- not yet applicable. <laughs> not yet applicable. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. And then so... Our bonus episodes, we've recorded a couple. They're pretty fun. A little more loosey-goosey. If you want to support the show, please do that. On the Patreon website, there's also the opportunity to kind of build a little bit of a community. So we'll be able to chat with people that support us through Patreon a little bit more and get some episode ideas from people because we love people's stories and ideas. Yeah, and we only have a spreadsheet of episodes going till the end of 2025. Oh my god, we have so like the thing so is, many is ideas. We, we only release every two weeks because we're we are unfortunately really busy, and we can't do it every week. So then the ideas just pile up, and it just it goes on and on. And this particular idea for the episode today has been on the top of the list, and I've wanted to talk about it for a really long time. And this is going to be a two part series, at least two parts, because it two is plus. bonkers. We're talking about the Rapture and the Book of Revelation. Today, specifically, we're going to be talking about the Book of Revelation. Next episode, we're going to be diving deeper into a lot more fun stuff. Today, we're getting a little technical. So, before we start, Sarah, what is your experience with the Book of Revelation? Oh, man. I loved the Book of Revelation. Whether it was reading it to the Lord of the Rings theme song when you were at Christian camp. And when I was in grade six, we did a Bible study series on Revelation And it was so interesting getting into like the mark of the beast, all of the plagues, what all of it meant, what the Antichrist would be. Jessica's rolling her eyes for those who can't see. Okay. I love that shit at age 11. I legit do not understand reading Revelation front to back multiple times at this point, how you can enjoy the book of Revelation. It doesn't make any fucking sense. Like I'm actually like angry thinking about having to talk about the book of Revelation. It's so dumb. (laughs) And then I feel like the view that I was raised with in Revelation was largely shaped by Kirk Cameron's Left Behind movies that he starred in. (laughs) Which I haven't watched yet, but it will be something that we will be talking about. So essentially, spoiler alert, it's basically the view that like Christians would be taken up to heaven and we would just disappear one day and our clothes would be like neatly laid out on the bed and (laughs) all the other people would be left to 
have seven years of turmoil on earth and then more people might become Christians, specifically more Jews. No, oh! <laughs> I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. And then Jesus would come at the end and then all the people that didn't accept Jesus would be cast into an eternal lake of fire and then human beings would live with Jesus on earth for a thousand years and then we would go up to heaven. Fantastic. So that is very interesting because like I, I know all of the lore surrounding the book of Revelation and after reading the book of Revelation, I can't even say that there is anything in the book of Revelation that says any of those things. Like those things don't even exist in the book of Revelation, I feel like, because it can be interpreted in 6,000 different ways. So for those who don't know, the book of Revelation is the last book in the Bible and essentially describes the rapture and the end of the world. And like I said, it's been interpreted a thousand million bazillion ways. People make a lot of money on their interpretations of Revelation. And in my opinion, this book is utter nonsense. It has one of my favorite Bible verses in it. Which is what? It's one of the reasons I deconverted, actually. Tell me. He's talking to a church and he's like, you are lukewarm. You're neither hot or cold. And I want to spit you out of my mouth. And I felt like <laughs> I had gotten down to a very watered down version of Christianity by the end. And I was like, you know what? God might just like me better if I'm all or nothing. I'm just going to cut the ties and I'm going to be I'm going to be full out not Christian. Wow. Yeah, because it's worse. God hates you more if you are lukewarm. That's sad. So I, I don't know. I don't know if it's my I wouldn't say maybe favorite, but it's a verse that's had a lot of influence in my life. Yeah. It's not like I, this gives me joy. It just has impacted your life the most. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Like, I'm sorry. I have so much anger inside of me because all I've been doing for the last few weeks is this research. And then I feel bad. You're like, did you read it? And I was like, I'm sorry. I forgot. But I, I promise I still have it burned in my brain. The thing is, is that you remember a lot of it, which is great. So my husband and I went on a hike this morning. And I was like, oh, I'm finally doing my rapture episode, my book of Revelation episode. What do you know about the book of Revelation? And he's like, I have no idea what you're talking about because he doesn't know anything. <laughs> and so I was like, can I just like kind of rehearse a bit and talk about the points? And we talked about a few things. And then I started to get into the actual book of Revelation. And then when I finished, I was like, what do you think? And he was like, I was trying so hard just to pay attention to this because it was so like I didn't give a fuck about any of this and I was like that's great <laughs> he doesn't care at all the book of revelation is full of symbolism and that's why it can be interpreted so many ways and at the time that it was written it's very possible that the people that were reading it understood all the symbolism but it has been 2,000 years since then and the symbolism doesn't make sense in today's society because we're going to get into it. But I'm we so love sorry. taking things out of context, right? Yeah. Not oh, yeah. Christians love taking things out of context when it comes to the Bible. And I think that's a very human thing to do. We project our own experiences onto whatever text we're reading. And because the symbolism can be vague, it's really easy to take different verses in especially the book of Revelation and then decide exactly what you want it to say and then convince others of that. Let's dive in. Okay, let's dive in. Who wrote the book of Revelation? John. John. Okay, so the book of Revelation was written by someone named John on the island of Patmos, which is an island off of the west coast of Asia Minor, now Turkey. It's Im very important to note that John never claimed to be the disciple John, ever. 
However, some scholars do believe it was the disciple John and that he was exiled to the island of Patmos for being a Christian. But like literally there is no evidence of that. And that's what makes I'm just the anger is I'm already just some dude named John. It is. It's some dude named John, in my opinion. Okay, Okay, so like after doing the research that I've done, I don't think it was the disciple John. See, I was always taught that it was disciple John that had written first, second and third John. I know. I'm telling you, Sarah, you can't believe everything you hear. (laughs) Something that I've read is that the writing style of the book of Revelation is nothing like the writing style of the book of John, which is said to be written by John. And that the writing style of the book of Revelation and the grammar apparently is horrific. Like, apparently it's written so poorly. It's in in the original Greek that, like this guy they're like this guy sucks at writing he sucks ass at it (laughs) and so but i really don't believe it was the disciple john just given what i have read about it so i read a book by a biblical scholar named bart ehrman and i'm going to be referencing that book a lot so he wrote a book called armageddon what the bible really says about the end it's actually quite a recent book too he is a non-christian biblical scholar he used to be christian he is awesome like I find him really light and funny and his book is makes sense he's a historian and he presents evidence and he has opinions of course but it also isn't like this all or nothing thing I'm going to be talking about his views a lot because his views were probably the most simple that I came across because everybody has their own interpretation of the book of Revelation based on how they feel whereas his interpretation of the book of Revelation is literally just based on history and facts which is really nice he's the one that said that the original Greek is horrific and I did read that in other places too that it was poorly written so it wasn't John the disciple it was John of Patmos some rando Christian in my opinion okay (laughs) when was it written it was written can I guess yes 77 AD. You know what's so funny is that you're very close. It's between 65 and 95 AD. So you almost got like right in the middle there. I think it's closer to 95 AD. I've seen both in my research. Most of them do say 95, but I have seen between, but it's within that era. So for context in Rome in 95 AD, Christians were said to be regarded with suspicion and maybe were persecuted for their beliefs. But unfortunately, there actually is not a lot of historical record to go upon. So the emperor at the time was named Domitian. And emperors at that time demanded to be worshipped as gods. And then that's why they didn't like Christians, because Christians wouldn't worship the emperors. Nero was really popular for that. I don't know if we've talked about Nero before, but he's the one who was like pretty famous of about persecuting Christians I think that some scholars have said like yeah they were being persecuted at this time but unfortunately nowadays they most people are like well there's not really any evidence but we can make assumptions really of I thought they were killed in in 95 AD there are times of course that they were persecuted but at this particular time there we're not sure okay interesting but it's obvious when you read the book of Revelation that John feels like he's being persecuted however kind of like most Christians yeah. now. <laughs> yeah I was gonna say like does that sound familiar so yeah like Christians in the U.S. think they're being persecuted so you can have your own opinion on that whether or not Christians were being persecuted at the time so we've talked about who wrote it when it was written 
And then I really, before we jump into the actual book, because I really just want to give people lots of context into the book of Revelation, because instead of just like reading it to the Lord of the Rings soundtrack, I want to talk about like the real history behind it. The book of Revelation, it starts by introducing John, but then it also explains what type of literature this is, which is called, in Greek, it's called apocalypsis which literally means something uncovered or revealed. And that's where the word apocalypse comes from. It's a type of literature that's presented a few times in the Bible. It means it's like a vision from God about the end times. Would it be like in Daniel? Yeah, so Daniel and Ezekiel are another example of apocalyptic literature. So there are numerous literary genres in the Bible, which is kind of interesting. It's like this literary mishmash. I mean, it's like 66 books, right? Yeah, exactly. So I'll jump into the literary genres of the Bible. There's narrative, which includes historical accounts, stories, like such as Jesus's life and the gospel. That's all narrative. There's law, which is like Leviticus, Deuteronomy, instructions giving to Israelites, those things. That's like the law books. There's poetry, which would be Psalms, Songs of Solomon, And then certain passages in certain books would also be considered poetry. Wisdom literature is another one. Ecclesiastes. Exactly. So books like Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job fall into wisdom literature. Gospel. We know that one. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's another literary genre. The next one is the epistles, which is letters. Letters from Paul and James and John. and And Peter. Peter. Oh, you almost yeah. got it. I almost got it. How could I forget Peter? <laughs> oh. So the letters, those letters address specific theological, ethical, and practical issues within early Christian communities. So those are the epistles or the letters. And then the last two are prophetic literature and apocalyptic literature. So prophetic literature, it's like usually has a specific historical context and addresses immediate issues. So that would be like prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, delivering messages to the people of Israel during their respective periods. The prophetic literature, it just seeks to bring about repentance, restoration, and renewed faithfulness to God. So the prophet, they're like a spokesperson for God. Kind of like an apostle. Exactly. And then now we get to apocalyptic literature, which is somewhat similar, but it only emerges in times of great crisis or persecution and often in anticipation of the end times or cosmic judgment, you know, and it offers comfort and encouragement to the faithful in the face of tribulation. It requires heavily on symbolism and visions, as we will see vivid imagery. So prophetic and apocalyptic literature are different. But they both try to renew people's faith in God and get people to shape up, change exactly. their Exactly. But I guess apocalyptic literature is just like more intense. And something that isn't in my notes, but I obviously did come across, is that in the Apocrypha, there are more book of Revelation or apocalypses, as they're called. There's the apocalypse of Adam. There's the apocalypse of Ezekiel. There's a bunch of them. But the authors, like Adam didn't write it. It's somebody who says it was written by Adam. And so those aren't included in the Bible. I've never read them. And I'm sure they're also nonsense. But the book of (laughs) Revelation from the John of Patmos, like, it's not like it was the only one. It's the only one that made the cut at the Council of Nicaea, which was directed by the Holy Spirit. I know. It almost didn't make the cut at the Council of Nicaea. It almost didn't. I think it was a bit controversial. The history of it is definitely convoluted. 
it's not a straightforward thing. I couldn't follow. I, I really, there's only so much I can do. So I, I didn't get into that, but I I'm impressed. The, You've already, like you say, I'm like a biblical scholar. God, I am. She's not. You can thank Bart Ehrman for this because he has been my amazing resource throughout all of this. And I think he's great. So, oh my God, I just want to bash my head already against the desk. Okay, here we go. So back to Bart Ehrman. He wrote the book called Armageddon, what the Bible really says about the end. What I really like about him is he's not like an edgy atheist type. Like he is a nice person. We, we like nice people here. We like nice people. Skirt. Yeah, we do. I don't care if you're a believer or a non-believer. I don't like it. Just don't be an asshole. So something interesting in his book is that he says the book of Revelation wasn't really liked by Martin Luther, who was like, oh. didn't he like create Protestantism basically? Yeah. Basically, basically, <laughs> like we're, we're really dumbing it down. But and in the preface of the book of Revelation in the Luther Bible, so he wrote a preface, Martin Luther did. Yeah. He says this, quote, about this book of Revelation of John, I leave everyone free to hold his own ideas and would bind no man to my opinion or judgment. I say what I feel. I miss more than one thing about this book, and it makes me hold it to neither apostolic or prophetic first and foremost the apostles do not deal with visions but prophecy in clear plain words as do peter and paul in christ in the gospel but i can and nothing detect that revelation was provided by the holy spirit so i thought that was interesting that like that is the person who created protestantism most, <laughs> protestantism like most of the people that are talking about revelation was like i don't think that's legit but we're gonna leave it in and Bart Ehrman says, like I mentioned before, is that there are numerous grammatical mistakes and huh. it's really poorly written. That's just kind of funny. That I don't think funny. that really matters, but God's word it, without error, <laughs> except exactly. Revelation. And it's important to note that also throughout history, the book of Revelation has been interpreted in different ways. And there's always a group of people who think that the end is imminent and was imminent or happening right now or back in whenever. Well, that's because Jesus said that he was coming back soon. I know. Soon. Soon. People in Acts, they were like waiting in a house before the Holy Spirit hit them because they're like, we're just waiting because he's coming back. And Joke's on you, early it's been, church. It's been 2,000 years. years. But, you know, everyone's like, oh, a day to God is like a 1,000 years. I and mean, Jesus also says that only the Father knows when he's coming back. He'll come like a thief in the night. Like the Holy Spirit doesn't know. Jesus doesn't know. Only God the Father knows when he's coming back. It's a mystery to us all. And I think yeah. God the Father is like my least favorite of the Trinity. Well, what, aren't they all the same person? Like I know we've talked about yeah, this. Yeah, but like the Holy Spirit's a comforter. Jesus is like the cool dude that we saw. And then like I always think of God the Father as like the Old Testament God. Yeah, and he's like kind of a dick. Like he's a grandpa like a that like kind of softened up a little when he had grandkids. <laughs> grandpa yeah he's like he's like ah i'm not gonna beat you you're my grandkid yeah like, exactly <laughs> i'll beat my kid but i'm not gonna beat my grandkids yeah That's... i'll kill my kid actually yeah <laughs> all right sarah we're gonna talk about the book of revelation i just want to say though that again bringing bart Ehrman back into this i listened to his podcast he was on npr i'll put it in the show notes it was very short and interesting episode of NPR. That's how I came across him. Somebody in our comments cool. actually recommended it to us. And he was talking about his book. And then the person was like, so like, what's in the book of Revelation? He's like, it's not even worth talking about because it's nonsense. And then I was like, <laughs> no, that can't be right. And then I read it and I was like, he's fucking right. So all of you that are sitting there saying, it can't be that bad. Buckle up. It's 
pretty bad. So, Revelations 1. Here we go. You ready, Sarah? Yeah. You're going to be like, what is happening? Because there's no way that you remember any of this because it is so dumb. Okay, so John introduces himself and then introduces the literary genre that this is an apocalypse. His vision starts with seeing Christ and he describes Christ as wearing a large robe with a golden waistband and his hair is white and his eyes are like flame of fire and his feet are like fine bronze. So like the symbolism is like he's so mighty. Yeah. So John faints because it's just so spectacular. And then Jesus is, or Christ, whoever the hell he's talking about is like, don't worry, everything's great. He then commends Christians for their faith. At this time, it's like the Roman Empire and they might be being persecuted. So they're like, cool, like good for you for having faith. So Christ says that the persecution will get worse, but the hour of God's judgment is close at hand. He gives a message to each of the seven churches of Asia, depending on what problem that they're having. We're not going to talk about the letters. I think that they're interesting in their own right, but I don't have the patience Obviously, Sarah talked about her favorite Bible verse already. Yeah. So this is an excerpt from Bart Ehrman's book about when he gets to this part of Revelation. He says, quote, I need to stress this point. John was writing to seven groups of Christians that he personally knew, not to people living 2000 years later in North America. When he says he has a vision about what will take place soon, he means soon for his actual readers. He does not mean thousands of years from now. <laughs> <laughs> I already like Barterman. I know. He's so good. So he has these letters to seven churches. The number seven is presented in every part of this book. It is a very important number in Christianity, but it's also just like really important in this book. So you'll hear seven a lot. So they get the messages to the churches. One is called Philadelphia, which is kind of funny. <laughs> and then we move on to chapters five and six. So he is like in somewhere like there's like a throne. He's like in heaven or something. A scroll with seven seals is presented. Only Christ or, quote, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, can open it. John then sees a lamb instead, which symbolizes Christ. And then the lamb begins to open the seven seals. So the seven seals are opened. This is chapter six to 16. And you read this all multiple times. I fucking hate it, Sarah. <laughs> I read it and then I read <laughs> Cliff Notes and then I read Bart Ehrman's book and then I read gotquestions.org and then I like just <laughs> hate my life so much. <laughs> <laughs> Your questions, biblical answers. <laughs> so the thing is when I was reading all this like everyone it's presented in different ways everywhere that's why it's so annoying because everyone is interpreting it differently and putting it in like a different order and then like it drives me fucking crazy so what I really tried to do was to make it as simple as possible and like as cohesive as possible so the seven seals are opened so this like I said the seven seals are chapter 6 to 16 so it's a lot so I'm I am condensing the seven seals the Okay, the first three seals. The I'm first... just picturing seals. Like, <laughs> like, I know it's not. Arm. I know it's like a seal on a letter, but I'm just picturing like seals just clapping. <laughs> yes. Well, you know what? It's better. It's better that way, actually. Once you just keep imagining that, because it, it'll at least make it interesting. So the first four seals are the are what is are called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. It's just something that kind of came out of the book of revelation there's a white horse with a rider and a bow there's a red horse with a rider and a sword there's a black horse with a rider that has a pair of balances in his hand and then there's a pale green horse written by death and then hades following him 
whatever the fuck that means. And then those are the first four. Then the fifth seal is opened and the souls of martyrs cry. It's like the fifth seal is souls of martyrs that are crying out for vengeance. They plead with God for revenge against their persecutors and are told that revenge will come soon. The sixth seal is a bunch of disasters. The moon turns to blood. So I'm just going to tell you the most interesting disasters because it's very long. The stars of heaven fall to the earth and the sky recedes like a scroll being rolled up. Every mountain and island is moved out of place. The people of earth retreat to caves in the mountains and the survivors call upon the mountains and the rocks to fall on them as to hide them from the wrath of the lamb. I just want to say that there is no fucking part in the book of Revelation that the Christians ascend to heaven. There is interpretations that like they get ascended and then God meets them there. But that is a specific interpretation that is like if you read this, you would never have gotten that. That is just like some rando theologian being like, this is what I want to happen. So you're saying that you're saying that Left Behind is not based on true potential events <laughs> or true future events. Yeah. You know, Kirk Cameron. Oh, uh, you're going to I can't wait to watch those movies. We should watch one when you come here. We should watch it. I will hate it. So that's six of the seven seals. What happens in the book of Revelations? The book of Revelation. It's not Revelations. It's Revelation. That's something else I learned. What happens in the book of Revelation is that every time they get to like the seventh seal or the seventh whatever. it The bowl. The bowl. It starts the next series of disasters. So we just finished number six. And then what they do is that there's like an interlude before the seventh one is open. So the interlude, first interlude is 144,000 Jews, 12,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel are sealed as servants of God on their foreheads. They are saved and they're the chosen ones. So this specific part of Revelation is something that it definitely gets talked about a lot in different doomsday prophecies. Well, I think that's the interpretation that more Jews will come to God in the end. Like more Jews will accept Jesus. And see, that is just one interpretation. But another interpretation I've heard is that like you have to gather 144,000 chosen ones and then the rapture will come. Like it's it's just whatever you fucking want <laughs> it's to like, be. There's like over 2 billion Christians. Like I know. <laughs> <laughs> Only 144,000 of you guys. But you're then, fucked anyone listening if you're a christian but another thing is that like what happens is they're like okay, 144,000. so then these like offshoots of like really culty christianity they have the thing they, they have, have the, thing. the thing that's yeah the, and then they're like oh we have the thing and we're, we're gonna, one of the 144,000. Oh i God. mean we're gonna definitely talk about quite a few of those going forward so just remember yeah this 144,000. it's interesting because it is something that comes up a lot so they're the chosen ones moving on so the seventh seal is open and there's silence for a half an hour in the heavens. Okay. And then it leaves. <laughs> 30 minutes. <laughs> Just 30 minutes of silence. Cool. That's all I ask. And then it leads to the seven trumpets. So the seven trumpets. Yes. There we go. Yeah, we're at the seven trumpets. Yeah, the trumpets. So again, I'm just like ripping through this book. There are more details that I just can't get into. If you want the really annoying details of the book of revelation go ahead and read it and you'll have your own interpretation there are things in here that you might not have gotten from the book of revelation because i got it from the interpretation of the book of revelation and it makes no fucking sense because it's also symbolic the next is the seven trumpets so seven angels are given trumpets an eighth angel takes a golden censer which is the thing that like shakes holy water 
you know the pope like it doesn't matter it's like on a you don't know i'm it's not okay. catholic whoa well you can still know what it is <laughs> but it's filled with fire from the heavenly altar and throws it to the earth what follows are peals of thunder rumblings flashes of lightning and an earthquake so that's the golden censor there's a lot of earthquakes lately <laughs> oh my god sarah shut up shut up <laughs> Don't. No, but I have, like, uh, there's people I know, I know that I say know. these things to me. I know, friend. I know. That's why I'm just like, I can't because I know that there's people that think that because there's earthquakes that it's like a lot of people. Like and I'm like, lot. I am well aware. So then we're at the first trumpet. <laughs> first trumpet is hail and fire mingled with blood and it's thrown to the earth, burning up a third of the trees and green grass. That, oh, hey, that's probably what they think that is happening there's a with lot the wildfires. Of fires happening right now. Yeah, there's been fires for years. No, but there's more fires now, and it's not because of global warming or climate change. It's because of... It's because of the first trumpet? Yeah, the, tr- the first trumpet. Great. Um. <laughs> Before any fire starts, there's a... Yeah. Ah, the distance. <laughs> and we're like, what is that? Well, I don't know what You got to just put, like, just insert a trumpet sound effect. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Oh, God. Okay, second, what's the second one? The second trumpet. Something that resembles a great mountain burning with fire falls from the sky and lands in the ocean it kills a third of the sea creatures and destroys a third of the ships at sea there was a lot more ships at sea back then i think now we just have like shipping containers we have a lot of like cruise ships yeah (laughs) there's gonna be a lot of senior citizens just destroyed Uh, oh god i hope i'm on a cruise when that mountain falls from the sky honestly i know someone that went on a christian marriage cruise (laughs) what is that what's a christian marriage cruise i don't know you like go on it and there's like they talk about like marriage and gender roles it's like for couples yes oh my god how many people do you think are swinging in secret oh my god i don't know in secret it's it's probably why they're getting blown up by trumpet number two yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay let's go to the third trumpet a great star falls from heaven and poisons a third of the rivers and springs of water. I don't think that's happened yet. Okay. No. The fourth trumpet. The th- a third of the sun, the moon, and the stars are darkened, creating complete darkness for a third of the day and night. There you go. <laughs> Whatever the fuck that means. <laughs> From 9 a.m. till 12 p.m., it will be totally dark. <laughs> what about the areas of the earth where it's dark all the time, like Antarctica half the year? I don't know if they knew about Antarctica at all. We'll have to ask Deb Harsma about that one. Oh, yeah. (laughs) The fifth trumpet is something called the first woe. There's different woes. (laughs) Whoa. Whoa. (laughs) The first woe. W-O-E. That's the first woe. (sighs) Which is just like the first catastrophe, I guess. So three things happened in the first woe. Quote, unquote, star falls from the sky. The star then opens a bottomless pit. When this happens, smoke rises from the abyss, like smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky are darkened by the smoke from the abyss. From out of the smoke, locusts who are given power like that of scorpions on earth harm those without the seal of God. So the 144,000 people have that seal from God. Everyone else is going to get fucked up by locusts, apparently. So like billions of people. I don't want to fucking deal with all those locusts. Like, Yeah, I hope, like I said, I want to be on a cruise ship when this happens so we can just not deal with this. Yeah, we will. We will already be wiped out by the last star that fell from the sky. <laughs> There's so many disasters already. Oh like God, we're all okay. dead. Yeah. So this is where the locusts is one of like the things that happens. Yeah. So the sixth trumpet is blown. So that was just the fifth, and then this this is the second woe. So the fifth trumpet was the first woe, and the sixth trumpet is the second woe. 
the four angels that are bound to the great river Euphrates are released. Yes! <laughs> I love the moments where we come full circle because the Nephilim episode, we found someone who like was like, the angels have been released. Yes. You can hear the chains rattling in the river Euphrates. Our Nephilim episode was like a mini-sode that we put out. You gotta it's really listen. Weird. It's so yeah. good. So this is like she thinks that these are the Nephilim. Uh, oh god, that woman was fun. So the four angels that are bound to the, I knew you're gonna get excited about that one. To the great yeah. river Euphrates are released to prepare two hundred million horsemen. These armies kill a third of mankind by plagues, fire, smoke, and brimstone. I don't know how everyone's not... How do we keep it with the numbers? Because there's a third killed and a third killed and a third... So. I know. So now a third of mankind are dead if you didn't already die by, like, things literally falling from the sky and murdering you. Then you're going to probably die from these 200 million horsemen that are released under the Great River Euphrates. Cool. (sighs) Okay. So deep breaths. Now we have an interlude. There's a few interludes in the book of Revelation. So Is it we 30 minutes of silence in heaven? It's not, but it's called Aww. the little scroll. I just like like this part. It makes it's all cute and it's little. It's a little scroll. So <laughs> I know it's so dumb. I've read this too many times. So the sixth trumpet is done. So like before, when the sixth seal was broken then there was like some interlude before the seventh seal was broken which brought the seventh trumpet so now before we do the seventh trumpet and leads to the next thing we need to have an interlude all right i feel like you could do a song like on the first day of apocalypse (laughs) my god gave to me seven seals okay so and one third of humanity died (laughs) two thirds of humanity died and they all burned in hell dun dun okay remember the song revelation 21 8 we used to sing it at camp. Revelation, Revelation, 21-8, 21-8. Liars burn in hell, liars burn in hell, burn. You don't remember that? I think that's really a very specific memory that I'm probably blocking out for a specific reason. What the fuck, Sarah? It's an actual song. You can find it on YouTube. Oh, God. I can't. Okay. Yeah. We're not even at Revelations 21 yet. Okay. We're only at like Revelations 10. So settle down. So the little scroll. The little scroll. <laughs> the little scroll. An angel appears with one foot in the sea and one foot on the land, having an opened little book in his hand. So John comes back to the picture. John's the one who's writing this, right? Like he's witnessing all this. So John is instructed to eat the little scroll that happens to be sweet in his mouth, but bitter in his stomach and to <laughs> prophecy. I know. I know. I remember this. Is this your favorite book, Sarah? Really? You love the book of Revelation? I would say it was my favorite book. (laughs) John is given a measuring rod to measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. Then he has some other vision that honestly doesn't seem important. Okay, so (laughs) those are in my notes. I didn't realize that was there. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm not sure what his vision was. That's fine. Keep going. I don't think it's important. Oh my God, I'm sorry. And then the seventh trumpet is blown. This is the third woe that leads to the seven bowls. Yes, the temple, we're at the bowls. We're finally. at the bowls. The temple I of God opens in heaven where the ark of his covenant can be seen. There are lightning, noises, thunderings, and earthquakes, and a great hail. Okay, before we get to the bowls, there is another interlude. And this is like the interlude that everyone loves because this is the Antichrist. 
I love the Antichrist. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't know. Do you want to hear the list of people that I heard that were accused of being the Antichrist as I was growing up? Yes. I would Baptist love to church. hear that. Yes. George Bush. Really? Yeah. Both of them. The dad and the son. You think people would love them? Go on. No. No. They were both the Antichrist. Obama. Yeah. Oprah. I think that's it. I think that's it. Why Oprah? Because she had new age people on her show. <laughs> Really? That's it? Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So this is... But one thing to note, though, is that the Antichrist... The word Antichrist is not in the book of Revelation. This is, again, an interpretation. Like, nobody says Antichrist. Can I tell you the name of the Antichrist in Left Behind? Yes. Nikolai Carpathia. Jesus Christ. Sarah. (laughs) I fucking hate this episode. Nikolai Carpaccio? Carpaccio? No, Nicola, Nikolai Carpathia. Carpathia. I cannot wait to watch that with you. Okay. The Antichrist is a beast of the sea that's empowered by Satan to assume complete control of the earth. Its number is 666. Whatever that means. That's where the 666 comes from. Something funny about 666, Bart Ehrman talks about 666 a lot, is that people will take that number and apply it to like anyone depending on like how many letters are in their name or how many blah blah blahs are in their name so then there's another beast called the false prophet whose purpose is to persuade inhabitants to worship the beast and get the mark of the beast on their right hand or forehead so that's where the mark of the beast comes from then there's like all these really horrific disasters that happen after that and then we get to the seven bowls the seven bowls okay i love the bowls do you pouring out disaster on the earth Yeah, it's really nice, isn't it? Okay, so seven bowls. We're at Revelation chapter 16. The first bowl is a foul and malignant sores that afflict the followers of the beast. Second bowl is the sea turns to blood and everything within it dies. (laughs) The third bowl, all fresh water turns to blood. (laughs) It's a lot of blood. (laughs) The fourth bowl, the sun scorches the earth with intense heat and burns some people with fire. People are getting more sunburns lately. I (laughs) don't... Shut the fuck up. Oh my god. You're not even laughing. You're just so I'm just so tired. So... <laughs> I'm sorry. That's okay. Uh, the fifth bowl. There is total darkness and great pain in the beast's kingdom. Sixth bowl. Oh my god. The sixth bowl. The great river Euphrates is dried up and preparations are made for the kings of the east and the final battle at Armageddon between its forces of good and evil. All right. Let's go to the Battle of Armageddon because it kind of jumps around. Okay, so we're going from, right now we're going from chapter 16 to 19. There is 17 and 18, which we will get to because we're not even at the seventh bowl yet. Fun fact, as a young child with my friends, we would play Armageddon. Like we'd play the final battle. My God, Sarah, that is so disturbing. (laughs) What the fuck is going on with Christian children? (laughs) What? (laughs) So what would you do? I don't know. We'd just be playing like Jesus came back and there were like the bad and the good. and Man, like that's beyond fucked. Can you imagine your children doing that? You didn't play crucifixion growing up? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not lying. I'm not lying. Oh, my God. Okay. 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 Let's go to the Battle of Armageddon. Now, what do you know about the Battle of Armageddon? Jesus is there. He's on a horse. And everybody's fighting, and then all of the the people that followed the beast had the mark of the beast get put into a river of fire. Forever. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, 
That's pretty See, good. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't need to reread Revelation. So. You remember the best parts. So then there's the Battle of Armageddon. The beast and the false prophet are cast into the lake of fire. So like, like you said, Jesus or Christ appears from heaven on a white horse and all of his armies to do battle with the beast and its earthly forces. There's no contest. And then the beast and his prophet are thrown alive into a lake of burning sulfur. But the best part is you don't die. You get to keep burning. Really? The best part? That's the best part. It says their armies are destroyed and become fodder for the birds. So whatever that means. Okay, we'll finish the Battle of Armageddon and then we're going to go back. So the dragon is imprisoned in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. I don't know what the dragon is. I thought that maybe that would be in my notes, but it is not. There is a dragon, apparently. I think it's so the interpretation yeah. was that God is on earth for a thousand years. Jesus isn't on earth with all of the chosen people. Oh, and yeah. And everyone else is in the fire for a thousand years. Oh, yeah. So then it says the resurrected martyrs live and reign with Christ for a thousand years. So this is also my favorite part, which is when you told me in one of our podcast episodes that some christians don't get cremated because their bodies will come alive many christians won't get cremated because of that they're gonna live on earth for a thousand years so they're that's where they get that from is revelations 20 verse 4 to 6 which says when i saw the thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed also i saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of jesus and for the word of God. So this is like the martyrs and those who had not worshiped the beast or its image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is those who shares in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and they will reign with him for a thousand years. So that's where they get that. There you go. Then it's judgment. After the thousand years, the dragon is released and goes out to see the nations of the four corners of the earth and gathers them for a battle at the holy city. The dragon makes war against the people of God, but is defeated. This is after the thousand years is over. The dragon is cast into the lake of fire with the beast and the false prophet. Again, we're back to the lake of sulfur. And then the last judgment, the wicked, along with death and Hades, are cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. So is this your little your little song? Yeah, yeah, this is the song. Revel- 21.8? You can you just said? insert it here. Yeah, Revelation 20. <laughs> I'm not going to insert it. I'm not putting it back in here. We know it. <laughs> it says, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorceresses, the idolaters, and the liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So if you haven't died already on earth from literally like everything, you're going to be cast into the lake of sulfur. If you happen to survive, good for you. We're going to go back a little bit to Revelation 18. Because okay. there's just like a little vision, like it's like a secondary aside quest, if you will, the aftermath of the bowls. So the seventh bowl is a loud voice that yells, it is done. And there's a great earthquake and heavy hailstorm. Hail is 100 pounds. Then we have like our side quest, which is a vision that John is given by the angel who had the seven bowls. So this is something that comes up a lot. It's just, this doesn't make any sense, but it's the, so the great harlot slash Mother of whores. I was wondering when the woman would come out. Yeah, so she was supposed to come out before the, the woman in the desert, right? 
No, that's the woman in the desert. No, sorry. There's two women. I didn't talk about the woman in the desert. She's before this. She like gives birth to a baby that the devil tries to eat and then he doesn't eat it. And then, yeah, but it doesn't really say that it's the Antichrist. I didn't put that in because it didn't make any fucking sense. (laughs) Okay, cool. Good good synopsis though. (laughs) Thank you. I hope that was correct. This is actually just like a different woman, a woman who sits on a scarlet beast with seven heads and seven horns and the name is of blasphemy all over his body. She's drinking the blood of Christian martyrs and written on her head says Babylon, the great mother of whores and the abominations on earth. So there's a whole thing about how there's like seven hills and et cetera, et cetera, all the symbolism. And people are like, they're literally just talking about Rome. So this harlot in some interpretations, which I believe is just saying that like rome is drinking the blood of christian martyrs and they're like horrible and then new babylon is destroyed there was apparently a new babylon i just thought like the mother of horse things is something that does get talked about but it's not really pertinent to the story not that there really is any story here there's not like a linear story in the book it's kind of nice you got representation you have two women in this entire (laughs) book and prophecy yeah i always imagine the angels are women because of my own head but i know that they're not they're actually a gender they don't have male or female sex unless they are being mary <laughs> fantastic okay so we are done with the battle of armageddon the thousand years is over the last judgment happens and then there's the new heaven on earth and the new jerusalem yeah there you go so a new heaven and a new earth replace the old heaven and old earth There is no more suffering or death. This is Revelation chapter 21, verse 10. He carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Its radiance like the most rare jewel, like Jasper, clear as crystal. It had great high walls with 12 gates. Okay, it goes on and on. But basically, the city is made of gold. The gates are made of pearl. Everyone's like lavish and the city has 12 fountains and then there's 12 apostles and there's 12 names and then there's 12 angels and do you think terry virgo is one of the 12 apostles i would rather die in a lake of burning sulfur than ever have terry virgo being one of the apostles (laughs) somewhere i live (laughs) so hopefully hopefully i'm already dead on the cruise ship before this happens (laughs) um the new heaven the new jerusalem comes and then all the survivors (laughs) i'm gonna call them survivors go there the river of life and the tree of life appear for the healing of the nations and people the curse of sin is ended and then that's it that's it and the conclusion christ reassures that his coming is imminent like imminent then imminent not in two thousand years or three thousand yeah i mean it depends on your interpretation (laughs) well there was a big thing about new jerusalem so about israel being restored like historically it was restored in I think like 1949 after World War II and people Christians were really pushing there's a whole movement called Zionism because they wanted Israel to be made again Sarah yeah spoilers okay spoilers okay (laughs) so that was supposed to be in the second part but if you do want to explain it we'll dive further into that in the next one and then there's a there's a verse that says this generation will not pass away before like the coming of christ and so people thought that like within the lifetime of people that were around at the end of world war ii we have a very very short window here because most of the people that were alive at that point are dead i find that really bizarre obviously that 
America as a nation was like, we need to support Israel as a nation because of this thing that I literally just read to you guys. And it's fucking nonsense. That is like the reason why foreign policy is created in certain instances. So again, we'll dive a little further into that. Uh, and but not far enough to comment on Israel, Israel Palestine. Palestine that's We're a not whole... gonna, no, 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 no. I just, I will give the facts. I have no, I don't know barely anything about Israel Palestine conflicts. There's people that, you know, study that their whole lives. So that is a book of revelation. I'm going to get into a couple things in a second, but before we do, what do you think, Sarah? Do you <sighs> hate do it I now think? or do you like it more? I just, I think you're right. I think it's like really boring. Yes. That's why it always surprised me when people at camp were like, and you already said this, like people at camp would be like, we're going to read the book of Revelation and listen to the Lord of the Rings soundtrack. And it's going to be so sick. And I'm like, this is literally so dumb. This is the dumbest book in the Bible. But I mean, like when you hear it, it's kind of like some of it's epic. Sure. But I think I explained this to the listeners in the most plain language possible. If you actually read it, physically read it, it's not epic. And some of these things that I said are not the actual words that were in it. It's the interpretations of the words that are in it. I mean, like a beast that will rise up out of the sea having seven heads, ten horns, and upon his head ten crowns. Mm -hmm. And the beast which I saw was like onto a leopard, and his feet were that of a bear, and his mouth was that of a lion. Like it doesn't... Like, like can somebody this... please draw that? Can oh my god, that just one us? second, just one second. This video is hilarious, and you have to because <laughs> what you just said about the beast made me think of this. Okay, maybe believing in God was a mistake. What did people believe in before? The sun? Maybe there's some sort of animal that we could make a sacrifice to, like a giant buffalo or some sort of monster, like something with the body of a walrus, with the head of a sea lion, or something with the body of an egret, with the head of a meerkat, or just the head of a monkey with the antlers of a reindeer, with the body of a porcupine. I will do some research. That's it. It oh just made God. me laugh. That is funny. Because it was like the body of this and the head of this. That's how a lot of things are described in the book of Revelation. I think people are so drawn to Revelation because everyone likes a good dystopian story. Like there's yeah. something about the apocalyptic genre. I've read, I can't even list the amount of like Hunger Games or oh, like yeah. Divergent. Like the amount of YA yeah. dystopian <laughs> novels I've read or like all of like Margaret Atwood's books. And I'm just mm-hmm. like it's one of my favorite genres. It's intriguing. I do love dystopian books. I love well, I love fantasy and then dystopian fantasy is even better. The problem the thing that I hate about the book of Revelation is that well it's not well written, but also people believe that it's real, which I think makes me angry because if I was just reading this, oh, this is just an historical document that somebody wrote once and we're talking about it. That's one thing. But there are millions of people, people that we know that are taking forest fires and storms and climate change. Don't even get me fucking started about climate change. 
are taking these things and being like, it's just the book of Revelation. It's just the end times. And you're like, have you even (laughs) fucking read the book? If somebody, it's like if somebody reading the Hunger Games was like, this is real and this is the end of the world. Like it would just, it drives me mad. They're on a totally fucking different planet. Yes. Like if you actually think that the book of Revelation is real, we're on a different planet. So we just, let's just wrap, or let's uh, finish. Wrap up. Well, not wrap up because I have one more section. Okay, cool. So my section is also like something that's going to roll over into the next episode, which is when end time predictions go wrong. Okay. So we're going to talk about two specific stories of people who thought that the end times were here and then obviously they were not when people predicted the end of the world. The first one is called The Great Disappointment. So there was a movement created by a gentleman named William Miller starting in 1818 and he predicted that the world was going to end in 1844, which was 25 years later. So a series of biblical interpretations led him to this date. I'm not going to bore you with this insane math that he did. But if you are interested, it is out there how he came to that conclusion. But it has to do with his interpretation of the book of Revelation. So he discovered this in 1818. He like fought in a war and then like basically like shut himself up for like a year or two and just like came out and was like the end of the world in 25 years. <laughs> so he had a psychotic break. <laughs> yeah. And he convinced, he spent the next 25 years convincing several pastors who convinced several other pastors who like told their congregations and then the movement spread. And there was like a bunch of conferences in this time where he spoke. And just between 1840 and 1844, there was 26 conferences where like thousands of people attended. Oh my gosh. Some estimate there were like 50,000 devotees wow they call themselves the millerites do you do you recognize that name yeah yeah so the millerites so obviously this didn't happen the world didn't end and people were completely devastated so this is a quote from a millerite so quote crops were left unharvested their owners expecting never to want what they had raised men paid up their debts many sold their property to help others pay their debts who could not have done so themselves beef cattle were slaughtered and distributed among the poor So like people just like lost everything. In some cases, such as this case, the cognitive dissonance is so strong. Like people, they like double down, but they'll double down in a different way because the idea never really goes away. So there were several breakoff groups that were created from the Millerites, Mm -hmm. about 33, but most notably Jehovah's Witnesses and Seventh-day Adventists. Isn't that interesting? Okay, I knew Seventh-day Adventists were one of them because... I had this friend who went down this really big rabbit hole when I was in high school of like Seventh-day Adventist videos that had a lot to do with the Daniel and Ezekiel uh, predictions about the end times. And he was like, you have to watch these videos. Wow. Yes. So exactly. The Seventh-day Adventists, they're interesting. I implore you to go down the Seventh-day Adventist rabbit hole, listeners, because she, this woman... Ellen White, I think her name was. We talked about her in one of the podcast yeah. episodes because we were talking about John Harvey Kellogg and he was at Seventh Day. He was like an OG Seventh Day Adventist. Yeah. And Ellen was like a total con woman. It was, it is just wild. Someday we'll talk about it. I don't, I wasn't a Seventh Day Adventist, so I don't really feel super qualified just like talking about it, but it is something that I have. They're vegetarian though, which like I. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. Okay. So Seventh-day Adventism started because a group of Adventists, that's what the 
Millerites also called themselves, they began to proclaim that a major event had occurred in 1844, not the return of Christ on Earth, but an elevation of his status in heaven. It was a spiritual event in the spiritual realm. Exactly. He had at last entered into the heavenly sanctuary to perform his role as heavenly priest. Among the leaders of this new group was Helen G. White, who was understood to be a prophetess. The group... They took the name Seventh-day Adventist Church because their teaching emphasized, among other things, the importance of observing the Sabbath, which on is Saturdays. on Saturday, which they think is the seventh day of the week, not Sunday. And they think that like other religions hate them because they do it on Saturday, not Sunday. Like who gives a fuck? But I guess they do. And that's kind of like what their differentiation is, the Seventh-day Adventists. But we're going to talk about them more in the future. So next, I want to talk about Waco. How much do you know about the disaster at Waco? Not a lot. Oh, okay. So I implore you to watch the show Waco on Netflix. I think it's on Netflix. It's good. I liked it. I watched it a few years ago before ever obviously doing this podcast so it wasn't that triggering but I think now it'd be a bit triggering because he reads the book of Revelation a lot so the story of Waco is it was a like a denomination called the Branch Davidians they were an offshoot of the Seventh-day Adventists it's like a butterfly effect from the Millerites to the Seventh-day Adventists to the disaster at Waco it was led by a gentleman named David Koresh and there was a 50-day standoff outside their compound in Waco and the result was 80 Branch Davidians died, including children. And it was really sad. The show is actually quite interesting. I really liked it because they kind of showed the people's motivations for wanting to believe in David Koresh. Like, they weren't totally demonizing him. I mean, I also think that he's a nutcase, but that's my own opinion. He believed himself to be the fulfillment of biblical prophecies. Like, he would take certain verses in Revelation and be like, this pertains to me. Again... You can get particularly obsessed with like one verse and then just interpret it in whatever way you want. And all you have to do is convince others of it. And that's the whole book of Revelation, in my opinion. He was particularly yeah. obsessed with Revelations 3-7, which is one of the letters to one of the churches that we didn't talk about. It was actually <laughs> the church. It was the Philadelphia church. Which, <laughs> yeah. So the verse is, quote, there are words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens it and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. And Korish thought that he was that one. And he was yeah. like, that's me. And then convinced a bunch of people. And then the disaster happened. The people that were trapped in the house, they were like, this is the fulfillment of Revelation because we're being fired at. And that's like the interpretation mm. of this verse. And yeah, you see how this happens. <laughs> and then they you- wouldn't leave because... It basically yeah. says they don't leave. and Yeah, and I think like that's why the book of Revelation makes me so angry because of these exact reasons. People can twist it any way they want and then die or commit atrocities or do things that aren't may- maybe like the smartest. And lastly, on this episode, I found it interesting. We did talk about how people aren't listening to the signs of climate change and instead just saying that it's the rapture. And... I just wanted to discuss environmental apathy in Christianity. There's some stats that some evangelicals believe that the imminent return of Jesus and the destruction of the world, and it's leading to a mindset that dismisses the importance of long-term environmental issues because they think that humans reign on the earth and then the earth is going to be destroyed anyway. And everything's going to be made new anyway. And then there's stats that say like overall evangelicals, at least older evangelicals, are less likely to believe in the science of climate change. It is something that we did talk to Deborah Harsma about and actually BioLocos does have Christian environmental scientists that they support so that is really nice to see. I think it would be in the same camp of Christians that are like 
the earth is 6,000 years old and that don't believe in evolution. And there's lots of people like that. That is just a bit distressing. I don't have much else on environmental apathy in Christianity. It's just something to note that the book of Revelation can cause that. Oh, I remember people saying, well, the Lord will be coming back anyway. So it doesn't matter. Like, I literally remember people saying that when I was growing up. Really? Yeah. Because yeah. I remember watching Al Gore's movie. What was it called? Oh, uh, yeah. An Inconvenient <laughs> yeah. Truth. Like, I remember watching that when I was, like, a teenager and being like, oh, my God. And then. And then what? People were like, actually, it's no. It's fine. Jesus is coming back soon. 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 Yeah. Within the lifetime of the people that were born at the time that Israel was created. Oh, my God. We're getting close, guys. It's not true. It's not true. What's not, it's true? not true? That there's an end times. Of course it's not true. <laughs> you don't even have to say that. It's okay. Is there anything else you want to discuss, Sarah? No, I'm so tired. I know you're so tired. I know you're tired. Anything else I want to discuss with Revelation and the end time in mind? I remember being really scared as a little girl. That was one of the reasons why I was so scared because they're like, Jesus will come like a thief in the night. Because it says God's going to come like a thief in the night and you won't know. And I remember being like, Jesus says that in one of the Gospels. So, okay, so, and do what? And like, take my believers back with me. Oh, so then that that's when the believers and the clothes get left behind. And then... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and I then... remember just being like, oh my gosh, everyone's just going to disappear. And I remember like thinking about who would be there and who wouldn't. Mm -hmm. Being really sad that my friends that weren't Christian would have to go through the seven years of all the bowls and all the I don't even know and... if it's te technically even seven years. This is just rhetoric that I heard growing up. Oh, yeah. It was like... There's going to be seven years of peace on earth. So everyone's going to like the Nikolai Carpathia, like the world ruler. And then he's going to convince everyone. And then it's going to be like seven years of like disaster and evil. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. There's like so many conspiracy theories right now, even with like the World Economic Forum. And they're going to have a big blackout and make a one world government. And <laughs> I don't even know if I want to get into the conspiracy theories of the end times in the next episode because I think it would be just so awful. But I bet there are so many. But yeah, Revelation's less fun than I thought. It's really boring. Yes. Thank like you. I, I just drove like six hours and then went right here to do this podcast and I'm tired. What was more boring? And this. <laughs> no. It's always fun talking to you, but this was boring. Like, like I hope that to the listeners that we were able to make it somewhat interesting. Probably. I, I hope. hope so. To wrap up, in conclusion, what did we learn today, Sarah? I learned that Revelation's boring. Mm -hmm. I thought it was cool, but it I think it does sound a lot cooler to Lord of the Rings music. I think it sounds a lot cooler when you take away like 95% of it and only talk about like the Battle of Armageddon, which is also just like a tiny portion of the Book of Revelation. If you only talk about the disasters and talk about like the cool shit and not like the little scroll. Yeah. See, my little the scroll. little cute scroll. Okay. My question here is what the fuck was in that little scroll that he ate that was sweet than bitter? Was that like a mushroom? Like, cause, like oh, because it granted him a vision. Shit. It granted him yeah. a vision that I did not even talk about so go ahead and read that uh if you want apparently i didn't think it was important enough to i think it. he either had some schizophrenia mr john yeah or i don't know he was like eating something well he was not the disciple john so i think he's just a rando and we let him dictate all of these things that are like creating foreign policy <laughs> two thousand years later it doesn't make any fucking sense why we're following this but it was the Holy Spirit led yeah. the Council of Nicaea, and now we're... 
Well, okay, there's here. like when you when we get into Zionism, it's fucked. It's so against Islam. And we can get into that next time. Oh, okay. I took a whole undergrad political science of the Middle East course. Cool. Yes. Uh, we learned that Revelations is boring and that we still love dystopian novels, though. So bring it on, dystopian novels. I'd love to read you. And, and I would like Left Behind better if the people didn't actually think it was true. Yeah. And I think that's but the thing. thing is, like, people were like, this, this is spreading the message of God. Yeah. And again... I would also have enjoyed the Book of Revelation more if I didn't think that it was so dangerous to society. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Sarah, I'm going to see you in two weeks. So I'm excited to see you. We're going to hopefully watch Left Behind and record some episodes about Left Behind and Revelations. And there you go. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And I hope you all have a good day. And don't think about the rapture because it's not real. That's a wrap. No, no.